0: Our knees before the Lord. Uh, this morning we're uh, continuing on in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Luke 2, verses 41 through 52. It's one of the only texts in your Bible that answers the question of what was Jesus like growing up? Really important passage. Luke Chapter 2, I'll start reading in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be with the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among all their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth Nazareth, and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Will you join me in a brief word of prayer? Lord Jesus, our hearts are still filled with the joy of celebrating your birth. And now we come to your word, asking you to... Give us a fresh vision of you, the incarnate word, the God who has come down to live among us, fully God, fully man, and fully able to save sinners like us. Uh, Jesus, would you help our hearts and our minds to expand, to catch a little bit more of the glimpse of your glory? By faith, we ask you to do this in your mighty name. Amen. What if God were one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a guy riding on the bus, trying to find his way home. That uh, song was originally sung by Joan Osborne. It's been sung by others. It's a, a bit of pop, uh, uh, pop music that tries to get at a deep theological question. What would it happen if you were to meet God And it turned out he was very different than you had imagined. Humanity has been wrestling with the question, what is God like for a very long time? And and many times we have used human ideas to try and imagine what God would be. Uh, You can think of cultures around the world that imagine there are many gods. Spirits that are controlled by magical forces. You just do the right sacrifices or right incantations and you can manipulate them into doing what you want. Oh, you can think of the philosophers down through the ages that have imagined that God is, he's there, but he is unreachable, unknowable, an unmoved mover who somewhere way back down the line started things, but not anyone you could really ever experience for yourself. Uh, There's lots of different ways people have tried to understand who is God and what is he like? It turns out that pop song got one thing right, almost by accident. What God is like is not what anyone was expecting. Uh, He is the holy God that made us all, and yet he is the God who has drawn close and made himself known by becoming one of us in the man Jesus. Uh, This morning we get a glimpse of what this man Jesus was like. Uh, A man who was the eternal word, and yet who was also a dude from Nazareth. A guy that was fully god And fully man, and the good news, is that means he's fully able to save you and I and anyone who comes to God through him. This morning we see the early days of Jesus on the verge of manhood. And I pray that we will end with a new reason to worship him. As we grow in what we know about the Son of God who was the Son of Mary. Uh, This passage is really just one story showing us Jesus growing up. Uh, We'll move through it in two sections. First in 41 through 45, we'll see Jesus lost and found in Jerusalem. Jesus lost and found in Jerusalem. Then in 46 through 52, we'll see Jesus, the son of God, and the son of Mary. Jesus, the son of God, and Son of Mary, I hope by the end you 're convinced he is yes, fully God, fully man, and fully able to save you from your sins uh, let 's begin in that first section forty one through forty five Jesus lost and found in Jerusalem. Uh, we pick back up, and time has passed since Luke last had been telling us the story of Jesus this, uh, early days. Uh, we last saw him 40 days after his birth being presented in the temple. Now we see him a full 12 years old on the verge of manhood. Other been many people that have wondered, what was Jesus like as a little boy? That's a very common Sunday school question. Uh, in fact, down through the years, people have tried to fill in the gaps because the Bible doesn't tell us anything about Day forty through year thirty, except this one passage. Uh, some of those stories read more like comic books than real life uh, there's one called the infancy uh, the, uh, um, uh, the Infancy uh, Gospel and it talks about what Jesus as a little boy, was like um, and Jesus is more like uh, someone who has inherited God powers and doesn't know how to do them uh, at one point he makes a uh, set of pigeons out of clay, and then Shazam, he turns them into real pigeons, and they go flying all around. Uh, there's another point where he's playing with a little boy, and the little boy does something that he doesn't like, and Shazam, he strikes the boy dead, and Joseph has to come and con- convince him, Jesus, that's not a good idea. His parents are going to be upset, and so Jesus begrudgingly, okay, Shazam, brings the boy back to life. Uh, there's all sorts of stories circulating around, but people want to know, what was he like? Well, the picture we do get in Scripture, the real story about Jesus growing up, is that he was really a teenager. He was really a boy that was growing up just like any other boy, even if there was something much more going on that would one day be revealed. Uh, Our picture picks up with the faithful family, Mary and Joseph, in the midst of a family tradition. We're we're told they're going to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Uh, Apparently, this is something they did every year. And if you were a faithful Israelite family, the, the husband was required to go to Jerusalem at least for this one feast, the feast of the Passover. It used to be that there were three requirements. By that day, most people thought it was just one. Well, what's notable, though, is that this was a communal affair. You would travel to Jerusalem with your friends and acquaintances and neighbors. Uh, It was a dangerous journey. It would take multiple days. So you'd get in a big caravan and you would all party your way to Jerusalem together. Now we notice, though, that a small detail that makes a big difference how we understand this family, that Mary was with them. Uh, there was no expectation that women were required to go to the Passover celebration. And in fact, we have writings from rabbis back then that said, a woman that went was especially pious. Once again, we see this is a woman who cares much about what God wants and what he thinks of her. Uh, And she and Joseph are in the pattern of going and fulfilling their obligations to the Lord 12 years after Jesus was born. But there's another really important detail right in these first couple verses. Jesus is coming along. Oh, there's a reason for that. We're told he's 12 years old. Yes, a tween, and that was the uh, back then. That was what people considered to be on the verge of manhood. Uh, You see, the law was written in such a way that when you were 13 years old, you were required to, for yourself, go to the temple. And for yourself, offer sacrifices to the Lord. That meant that your 11th and 12th years were were kind of like the years with training wheels on. You went with your dad and you saw as he did everything. Because in just a short time, it was going to be your responsibility before the Lord. They called it becoming a son of the commandment when a boy turned 13. Jesus is on that verge of manhood himself. And he's going with his faithful family to see what it means to be faithful in worship as part of God's people gathered over the Passover. Well, that's all the setting for the story. They roll up into Jerusalem. They're probably there from the sounds of it for the full week of the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Things sounded like they went fine because everyone packs up after everything's over and they're heading back home. And in such a big caravan with so much chaos of people coming and going, a very human thing happens. Mary and Joseph lose track of Jesus. Now, I, I don't know if you're well, in the habit of watching Christmas movies, there, there's one that uh, some families like, our family likes a lot, That uh, Home Alone. And it's really built on this very human thing Losing track of a child. Isn't that a fear all parents have? Uh, there's just one scene in the second movie where uh, Kevin's family has already flown uh, down to Florida and they're picking up their, pa- uh, their baggage from the checked baggage carousel and they're passing down the bags and it goes person by person down the line. Give this to Kevin, give this to Kevin, give this to Kevin, give this to Kevin. Because at the end of the line, there's no Kevin. So the bag goes back the other direction, telling them, There's, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here. Until that moment of a dreadful epiphany where Kevin's mother realizes she's done it again. She's lost sight of her boy. And she says her iconic line, Kevin! Now, I don't know exactly how Joseph and Mary found out. I kind of like to think that Mary had a similar sort of reaction when she did. Maybe she assumed that Jesus was with Joseph at the front of the caravan. Or maybe he was with all of her cousins and so she just didn't think to look for him. But at some point, a, a day's journey after they'd set up camp, everyone realizes Jesus isn't here. Oh no. Well, they respond the way all parents in that situation do, at least if they're faithful parents. You go into a frantic search. They looked everywhere, they realize he's not here at this point, they're a day's journey away from Jerusalem, so they head back. I have to think that their anxieties are running high. Uh, Jesus may be on the verge of manhood, but they're on the verge of a, of a nervous breakdown. Uh, they're looking high and low anywhere they can to know that their boy is safe. I think there is not, this is not the main point of the passage, but I think there is a word here. For parents, draw encouragement. Even if you had Jesus as a child you would still have reasons to be anxious as a parent. <laughs> Very human scene that many of us can empathize with. Mary and Joseph looking high and low for their boy who's on the verge of manhood. Thankfully, they do find him at three days since they lost track of him and he's safe and he's secure. But what they find is not at all what they were expecting. A sight that is gonna reveal something about their son uh, a, a site that will have big implications for the days ahead. That brings us to our second scene this morning. Our second scene, which reveals Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Mary. Uh, where do they find Jesus? But in the temple? Well, it turns out back then that after the Passover feast, there was a habit for the best teachers of the day, the rabbis, to hang out in Jerusalem and to debate the finer points of theology. Somehow or the other, Jesus has found himself in the room as the brightest minds in all of Israel discuss the deep things of God. Well, that's baffling enough. How did he get in there? But but even more baffling than that is that Jesus is engaging in the discussion. We're told he's listening, asking questions, and even answering questions. The reaction of the people watching him is utter astonishment. How is it this guy who, who's not even a man has such understanding, such wisdom? Uh, Mary and Joseph, at least for a moment, forget about their anxiety and just let their jaws drop. At what they are seeing before them. Is that our son Jesus? Hanging with the theological heavyweights in the midst of the temple? Now some people uh, uh, see this scene and what comes right after. And they wonder if maybe Jesus has done something sinful. I mean Mary eventually comes to her senses. And does what all mothers do when they have lost their child. They go into don't you ever do that again mode. She goes up to him, don't you know what you've been doing to us? We were worried sick about you, Jesus. And then Jesus responds back in a cryptic way. "Why, Why were you looking for me? Don't you know I needed to be in my father's house? Now, if you know your Bible well, you can understand why people would have questions about this. After all, the fifth commandments in your Bible, honor your father and your mother. Is it honoring to not tell your parents that you're staying behind? Is it honoring to them to change the subject when you're getting confronted about what you've done? And yet, if we believe in our whole Bibles, we believe what the author of Hebrews tells us, that Jesus was without sin. So how do you put those two things together? Well, I think what we're seeing here, the best explanation is that Jesus is honoring both the fifth commandment and the first one. You have no other gods before me. Even as Jesus is the son of Mary, he is also the son of God. And that means he has a unique relationship with his heavenly father. A relationship that will increasingly come to the forefront as he grows. And one day will lead to a necessary separation from his earthly family. Uh, Jesus didn't do anything to harm Joseph and Mary. Now, in fact, in this moment, they're getting a little glimpse of what's coming. That their son is, yes, a true boy that is growing, but that he is also the son of God. And that one day he will say the words that he has been sent by his heavenly father to do everything that his father tells him to do. And in fact, that they are no longer his first priority. Instead, the family of God is. Now, Mary and Joseph, they don't understand what Jesus says. (laughs) They probably were just puzzled and, decided to move on and go home, probably exhausted. Now what's remarkable, we're told though, is that, Mary, that Jesus goes with them and, and that he submits to their parental authority. For 18 more years, he lives as the son of Mary. Just another guy. A dude that grew up out in the sticks. One of us working a job with brothers and sisters and a mother to take care of, with all the sorts of problems that all of us have. He was so successful in this that when the time comes for him to reveal himself, people couldn't believe that the carpenter's son would be a great prophet of God. 18 more years of Jesus growing. And Luke ends the passage with us telling that he does in fact grow. He he grows in stature, his Voice deepens and his shoulders broaden. He grows in favor with God. His mind absorbs more and more of the Word of God. And he and his Father grow in that special relationship, the one that will one day save us all. Well, what we see in this passage is an example of the two natures of Christ: He who is fully God and fully man. And that means he's fully able to save people like you and I from our sins. Uh, How do we draw applications from a passage like this? I think at the most surface level, at the beginning, we need to realize that all of us are theologians. The only question is whether you'll be a good theologian or a bad one. All of us have some sort of conception of what God is like, whether he exists or not, what what he demands of us, and who we are in relationship to him. And as Christians, we have the unique opportunity to grow in our knowledge, and as we do, grow in our worship, as we know more about God. And especially as we know more about the one who he's revealed himself through, the man, Jesus Christ. Uh, Earlier in the service, we read from the Chalcedonian Creed, Uh, That was written roughly 1,600 years ago. And it was written at a really pivotal time in church history. You you see, back then, uh, people were reading the same scriptures we were and running into the same questions that we still have to wrestle with. Uh, There's lots of texts that tell us that Jesus is, in fact, to be identified as God. He was the eternal word. He upholds the world by the word of his power. He can declare before Abraham was, I am. So there were many people that wanted to make absolutely sure that they did not shortchange the reality that Jesus was God. At the same time, there are passages like the one we just read that show Jesus as a person, a true human, someone who needs food, who gets tired, who needs to sleep, Someone who actually doesn't know things and grows in knowledge. How can those two things possibly fit together? Well, back in those days, there were theologians attempting and falling into ditches on both sides. Uh, There were some that imagined that Jesus was really just a really holy human that ascended to Godhood by enough obedience. But that didn't really make sense of all those passages that talked about him as truly God, uh, there were others that emphasized his godhood to the degree that they, they really erased his humanity. He, he was more like a human puppet that God inhabited than a true human. So, Chalcedon was the church's attempt to bring these two things together. And with, through much work, and I, I think with God's help of providence, we ended up with a really, really helpful statement of faith that holds these two things in tension that Jesus was fully God. And fully man. And that's why he can fully save us from our sins. Uh, that his human nature and his divine nature. When they are united. They, they don't change. They don't become confused. They're not to be divided or separated. And yet they are they're truly brought together in one person. See that's one of the reasons that Jesus is. As much as he is like us. Is in another sense not like us. We all have one nature. He has two. All right, now that's all knowledge. and I hope it makes you want to worship Jesus more, your heart expanding. But let's get practical. How does that actually land in your life as a Christian? What difference does it make whether Jesus was fully God and fully human? Well, there are two things that I hope will happen for you. First, I hope you'll grow in your appreciation that you are being helped by his humanity. That the fact that Jesus was a true human helps you greatly as you live your human life in faith to him. Uh, The author of Hebrews tells us something very important in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 through 17. I'll read those two verses. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Writer of Hebrews tells us, uh, Jesus didn't take on the form of an angel. He didn't come to redeem angels. He came as one of us, a human, so that he can redeem sinful humanity. Uh, there was a theologian called John of Damascus, and he explained this very tightly. It's, he said, anything that is not assumed cannot be redeemed. Well, Why is it necessary for Christ to be full-throated a human? Because anything Christ didn't himself assume, he is incapable of redeeming. We need someone that would obey the law fully on our behalf, someone to To face all the tests of faith and to pass them where we fail them. Someone to be the very chosen one of God. To give us an example of what obedience to God would be like. And yes, someone to even offer up a human life as a substitute for our sins. That is what the humanity of Jesus offers us. It offers us a true human in place of true sinners like you and I. So let your mind think about this for a second. Jesus really was a human. He really was a baby in need of burping and in need of having his diaper changed. Jesus really was a human. He really was a toddler, bobbling around as he walked and exploring the world with his mouth, drooling everywhere he went. He really was a human. Jesus was a little child. He really did fall down and skin his knee and need Mary to kiss it. He really did have his mind be an awestruck wonder as it learned things. He really was a human. Jesus really was a tween. He really went through all the changes that come to your body. He he probably had acne. He almost certainly had BO. He ate Mary out of house and home. He really was a human. He really was a tween. And Jesus really was a man. He really did live a normal life, except free from sin. He really did experience rejection and hurt. He really did have anxiety and even fear. But he did it all blamelessly. He knows what it means to be a human. He was fully human. So he can fully save you from your sins. I hope you realize that when you are in the midst of the weakness of your body, or, or even the trials that you face in this world, the, the temptations that assail your soul, that Jesus knows what you're going through, which is why he knows how to help. Uh, friends, I know that there's been so many of us that have dealt with sickness and loneliness over these last couple of years, and even this last couple weeks. We realize that when you get on your knees to pray to Jesus, it's not as if this is something foreign to him. He knows what you're going through. Draw near to that throne of grace and find the help you need in your time of need. Jesus was fully a human, so he can help you. But he's also fully God. That's the second line of implications for you. I hope you delight in the divinity of Christ. It is an awe-inspiring thing to imagine that the fullness of God would choose to dwell in the likeness of human flesh. That Jesus, the man walking the dusty streets of Jerusalem. Was in fact the eternal word upholding every molecule in the universe. That wondrous mystery that we celebrate each Christmas. Not just of a baby that is born. But of a, a child that is God himself. You could spend a whole lifetime writing books and debating with the deepest minds of theology and not get to the very bottom of it but you can know this truly he was truly God and that means you can truly worship him Uh, every time you worship Jesus uh, you are worshiping a man but you're also worshiping one that is fitting of your worship you are worshiping true God Uh, That means no matter how much you learn about him in this life or or how much time you spend conversing with him in the life to come, you will always be right to fall on your knees and adore him. Isn't that good news? You'll never grow bored because Jesus is true God. Uh, Realize also that your salvation from your sins hangs by this thread, that Jesus is truth God and true man. He needed to be true humanity so he could represent you and live the perfect life on your behalf. But he needed to be divine also so that an infinite sacrifice could be offered for all the sins of the world. So that the unapproachable God could be approached through his ministry of intercession and mediation. Friends, it is good news that Jesus is fully God and fully man because it means you can be fully forgiven if you come to God through him by faith. If you're here this morning and maybe you have a lot of thoughts about God and you're not sure exactly what he's like. Have you ever thought about that question? What if God isn't the way I expect him to be? What if he's not just always permissive and loving no matter what I do? What if he really doesn't care all that much how I live or what I believe? What if God was so very different than my mind imagined? What will that mean for me one day if I met him? According to the Bible, what that means for you could be the worst of all news. Uh, The Bible tells us that God has shown himself, uh, both in the world that he's made and the hearts he's given us, and even in the things that he's directly spoken to us through the Bible. And that God has revealed himself to be a perfect and holy God. One that no one can approach as long as they have sinful hearts. See friend, that's your problem and that's my problem. We don't live for the God that made us. The Bible calls that sin. If you have a conception of God other than holy, one day that will be a grave mistake. Uh, The Bible tells us that the penalty for our sins is punishment eternal punishment away from God under his wrath. But there's another thing about God that you might not know or may not think, and that he's far more loving and merciful than anyone ever imagined. Uh, We know that because of what this man that was God, Jesus, came and accomplished. Uh, God knew that sinners would never be able to Make clear their names before him or or absorb his wrath without destruction. So he sent his own son, the eternal God, to come down and live a life as a substitute for sinners. Uh, That's why Jesus died on the cross. That's why Christians talk so much about the cross. It's the moment where the holy God punished the perfect son of God in the place of ruined sinners. Uh, In that moment, God's wrath was fully satisfied And when Jesus died, we knew that that sacrifice was accepted. Three days later, Jesus came back to life. And he did that so that we could know that, yes, we could be forgiven. And, yes, we could have joy in God's presence. We could be brought into right relationship with him. But we must repent of our sins and we must trust Jesus by faith. Friend, one day you'll meet God. And I hope on that day, you don't find a God different from your expectations. I hope on that day, your eyes see what your heart has already believed through the help of God's word, that you see the holy God that made you and that you see a friend because you've come to him through Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you can banish forever the fear that you might have of entering God's presence and being punished for your sins. Not because you're perfect, not because God forgot, but because Jesus was fully human and fully God and fully able to save you from your sins. What if God was one of us? Praise God he was in the man Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we declare you are worthy of our heart's affection and you are worthy of the allegiance of every single one of our lives. You who did not hold on to the rights that were naturally yours as God the Son, but who humbled yourself, taking on the form of a servant to come and rescue us from our sins. Oh, Jesus, we worship you this morning. Uh, Thank you for enduring the many trials and sorrows of this world. And, And thank you for doing it to redeem us. Thank you for doing it perfectly so we can know perfectly that we are saved through your sacrifice. And that we are truly welcome into the courts of heaven by way of your mediation. Oh Jesus, now as we continue singing, would you give us hearts that would worship you the way they should as the one who is fully God and fully man and fully worthy of our worship. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.